I'd rather be called like a furry than a secessionist. I, and that that's rough. That's not even a good example because I don't mind being called a furry. I like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd rather be called a murderer than a secessionist, honestly. It's my favorite kind of cold opens that we do are the ones where I don't even have to do any editing. You just we just hit the record button. You say, hey, let me say something. <laughs> let me say some shit real quick. Chapel Bell Curve. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we welcome Nathan back from the war, from Atlanta, far flung to the Peach Bowl. I've been waiting like a widow for my my sweet Nathan to come back home. Are you okay, man? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm very excited. I'm excited. Good things are happening, you know? Good things are happening and, and we're very excited. That's where I'm at. We won, Nathan. We did it. We're going back. One of the only teams, one of the few teams in history that have been able to defend their own national championship. It's happened three times. It's happened again. And we're going to talk a little bit about this Ohio State game. Is there anything you want to talk about at the top of the episode as far as housekeeping goes before we dig right into it? A uh, couple of things. We would love if you would mm-hmm. join our Patreon. If you'd like to support the show or you want to be part of a cool inner circle kind of group, uh, I'm trying to appeal nope. to you because I assume... <laughs> No, I assume that if you listen to this, you haven't been You're in the cool. inner circle a lot, but you are cool. That's fair. And you deserve to be in the mm-hmm. inner circle. You know, one of one of my personal axioms is that everyone should act with the audacity of a mediocre white man. Right. So that's, that's what I want. I want all of you to have that. And one way you can have that is by spending as little as one dollar a month at our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Belkert, which gets you access to a really good community of patrons of like minded people to do way more than football stuff with honestly Mm -hmm. i I think a lot of the best things that happen in our community have nothing to do with football so we would love to have you out there we are actually we say this every year but now we have a gen zer who has the energy to actually do this but we actually want to make some off-season content this year which in the past we've been really bad at so Mm -hmm. we think it's a good time to join to to sort of come into the winter to have a place to to stay warm, right? The non the non football winter, you got to stay warm from the harsh cold reality of non college football world. And Yara has the 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 intestinal fortitude to see this thing through. I think it's pretty obvious already. So why don't we get into this? We're going to start with some qualitative stuff, then we'll do our quantitative mm-hmm. our quantitative review. I think we have some pretty good stats on tap today. I have some pretty good observations. I think we also have a game that I'm going to make Justin play. <gasps> How exciting. I yeah. love it. All right. So I like the way that you've done these notes today, which, by the way, you could get access to these notes for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon to mm-hmm. read around uh, along them as we do it. I like how you've done these notes today because you've left in some of the stuff we had on our preview sort of mm-hmm. as to answer questions. So you have one thing that we put on or that you put on in the preview episode that now you'd like to readdress to at the top of the qualitative. Yeah, yeah. So running the segment at the very top, we had a note that said, Ohio State, the best team in the nation who still uses elementary style incentives to celebrate successes. This is not a dig on stickers by any means. However, I saw a lot of stickers, Nathan. Saw a whole bunch of stickers. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them you could see from the front, you know, just like <laughs> I was going to make some sort of, I don't know. Um, I don't know enough rap references to reference any sort of song that talks about seeing it from the front. 
but I know yeah. it exists. Put a put a coffee mug up on it, kind of thing. That's that kind of yeah. Sticker. There you go. Yeah, those Buckeye stickers. They're out there on the front. Um, so I mean, all that to say is that a lot of accolades on this team. Very good team. Um, I have nothing bad to say about the Ohio State Buckeye football team because they were very good, and I think that at the end of the day. It was anybody's game, and that is very much proven by the stats. How do you feel about that situation? I I mean, yes, I do feel like I, the stickers don't really bother me that much. I think it is funny how sloppy they get. I thought with Marvin Harrison Jr., it was really funny how I just like, I, I mean, it was cool, but it was very funny how many stickers there were on there mm-hmm. where it stopped looking like stickers, an acknowledgement man. thing. It stopped looking like an acknowledgement thing for a college football team, and it started looking like, oh, he just really likes stickers, which is yeah. totally okay. <laughs> but it did kind of look like that. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I also just like, I, I like the classic look of the helmets. I don't like putting things on them. So, we got some newsy stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I have also brought a couple of news notes. Well, not news notes, but just things I think are funny in the media. But why don't you go for one? Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about a couple of things first? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, If you have been following this game at all uh, in the post-game world of Twitter or wherever online, you've probably heard. I, I feel like there's two things that everybody's talking about. And you can tell me whether or not I what I missed. Um, but the two things people keep talking about, because there's always a few narratives, is one, Kirby's timeout. That everyone was like, that's the best timeout I've ever seen. And everybody wanted to be like, no, no, it was bad timeout. It didn't even matter. It was totally like negligible. It didn't matter at all. Um, there's that one. And there's also the is it or is it not targeting um, on Marvin Harrison mm-hmm. there at the end of the game mm-hmm. or near the end of the game, the third quarter. Those are the two things that I feel like are are overriding everything. Yeah, um, absolutely. What other yeah, sort I- of news points are you hearing? Well, one of them, one of the things that I saw that was related was, did you got, did you see this video of the Ohio State fan who went on Paul Feinbaum today, who called into no. Paul Feinbaum? Oh my God, this is a good. You should all go look this up. But it, I saw it on the Georgia Bulldogs subreddit. But basically, this Ohio State fan calls into Paul Feinbaum and is living proof of the idea that there are that Ohio and much of the Midwest is really just the Deep South, but with worth with worse weather. That sort of like the 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 Midwest doth protest too much when it comes to racism, especially because this guy calls in and he basically accuses Kirby of learning from Nick Saban to play dirty and take out the other team's best player. And he was like, oh, they did it against Texas, referring to when Colt McCoy got hurt in the national championship in the BCS era. So he he says this, but then he starts using the word thug over again. He's like, yeah, they Uh. just have those thugs that they send out there. And, you know, that's what that's what he did. You know, they knew they were going to get ejected, but they have these thugs. And then I swear to God, he referred to Javon Bullard, who, by the way, is like not that big of a guy. So this was like inaccurate racism as a silverback. Yeah, what? dude. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not saying all Ohio State fans are racist because they certainly aren't. But holy shit. Do not let me hear you say something about being racist. Anyone from the Midwest about the south that was wow that was unreal like you listen to it and you can tell even paul feinbaum paul feinbaum doesn't say anything about the racist part of it but you could tell that paul feinbaum is just like you take as much of this rope as you want man like you you, you <laughs> you're hanging yourself with it but you, you hang yourself as much as you want paul five just like feinbaum just like let him go on it and he was like uh-huh. even feinbaum who has obviously seen some shit was like 
what? <laughs> like there was the, the look what? on his face was one of just like, uh, what? What did he just say? What do we do? So, yeah, that does relate to the is it or is it not targeting thing. The other thing I saw, I've seen a little bit is that I think there's been some gnashing of teeth from the Ohio State side about just like this Ryan Day era. This is maybe something mm-hmm. we'll talk about later, but you know, just how can a guy who's so successful have face planted like multiple times in big games? And, and I don't, I mean, I understand that's a pretty reasonable reaction from a fan. I mean, insofar as a college football fan can be reasonable, but I really don't think that Ohio State has anything to hang its head for. CJ Stroud, which we're going to talk about later on in the episode, who we're going to talk about later on in the episode, is just played lights out. Marvin Harrison played lights out. I mean, the whole team, they had a great game plan. They got pressure on Stetson Bennett in a way that nobody else has this year. And I think, I, I don't know, I wouldn't feel bad if I were an Ohio State fan. Like, it sucks. Yeah. I know this. But it wasn't like, it wasn't even really like second and 26. Because second and 26 was something where, like, you know, it, it all came down to this one play and this one transcendent moment. They just sort of couldn't hold Georgia off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there was a moment with the big the field goal miss, but like so many other things led up to it. You have a note about our Twitter. Oh, yeah, I, I do have a note on here about our Twitter account because, you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about comes from Twitter um, or articles that are, are advertised on Twitter. And I just wanted to, to say, give a shout out to um, our salty ass Gen Z Twitter account, and what it's become. Because if you are not following the Twitter account, you really missed out following the game as Yara went on just an absolute rampage of finding mm-hmm. people to sort of mm-hmm. um, retweet <laughs> and just telling as many people as they could to die mad uh, because you you can't hurt us. You can't touch us. <laughs> We're going to the national championship. Highly really all that matters at the end of the day. Highly recommended uh, that you follow yeah. our Twitter account for Yara's presence. Uh, Yara made an excellent like image edit meme of the Midnight Miss. On the on the Midnight Mass trailer, the TV show, uh, Yara also just re- like there were some people complaining about the Redcoats. Well, they kept saying the Georgia band, but the Redcoats playing the G thing they play, where they play the, G, the note G as loud as they can, and also playing Choker too much. And and Yara just Yara and also all the Redcoats sectional twitters just really got up in it, and it was really impressive mm-hmm. to see. Highly recommend you follow Yara because they're just doing an insane insanely good job and i don't want to co-opt the language of the military in what is essentially a non-violent forum but when yara asked if they could tweet after the game i was basically just like weapons free no rules war crimes allowed no <laughs> go quarter nuts. go nuts there are no and then i i think that's basically and i want to say this on the recording because i want this to be known that this is where we are and and just so that you when you're in the jungle with our twitter account you don't think of it as like a big, slow, you know, millennial prey animal that you understand that our Twitter account is now a lith Gen Z predator who just <laughs> thirsts for blood. But I, I think that that approach, that post-college football playoff approach, is basically the the tone that I want from the Twitter account from now on. So just just be aware, this is not this is not your your gen your elder millennials Twitter account. Mm-mm. You better look out. We're not touching yeah. It anymore. Yeah, there are no <laughs> rules. I mean. We, we, I would say that this Twitter account is now like it's like some kind of really virulent biological weapons experiment. And we now have sealed the canister and we're just watching what happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Yara is we've been Yara is just we've encased the hot dog in resin. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah, it's an experiment. <laughs> yeah. Yara. Yara is just like Yara is in this little uh, terrarium and they are behind a Twitter account that looks like a prey animal. But they're actually like. Worse arch like they are you are stuck in Twitter with them. They are not stuck in Twitter with you. 
You know what I mean? I'm not saying mm-hmm. that Yara will physically throw a basket of fry oil into your face, but they will definitely metaphorically do so. Oh, for sure. You better just just keep your head on a swivel. I don't know. That, that's probably not a good pitch to follow our Twitter account, but you should if you have not. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we, we have this history segment. Yeah. I, and we have some things that, you know, you responded to. You said I was going to take back saying their band is good. I'm not going to mm-hmm. take that back. But, you know, mm-hmm. no, I'm not. I'm gonna... It's just <laughs> so wildly different. So wildly okay. different from from anything I've ever seen. Like, I don't feel that I am any better at giving you analysis of Ohio State's band than a layman would be of giving you analysis at Georgia's band, if that makes you make sense. Mm-hmm. Wildly sense. different. And, and also just the cultural differences. Like, okay, so Ohio State, they show up on day one, and, you know, at their practice, they're wearing, like, gym shorts. They have, like, a practice uniform, which is pretty normal. And they're wearing, like, the patent leather shoes that they wear with their uniforms and gym shorts. And then they also have the hats. They're not Shakos. They're, like, you know, military caps. But at their practice, they start practice by doing, like, wind sprints. Buck wild. Okay? So that was kind of like, okay, different cultures, whatever. So then, uh, I guess we're getting too much into our experiences. But there was a moment where we had a pep rally, right? And they went first, Mm -hmm. and then we went. And they're coming out, and they're going into the they're going into the like parking lot of the world congress center basically Mm -hmm. and the only people out there are us it's just redcoats right there's nobody else out there except for semi trucks and golf carts that have been parked right and they come out of the pep rally chanting right or not chanting but like parading basically which is how we exit pep rallies too it just not as disciplined so they come out chanting or pep you know doing their parade kind of thing and they get past us and they just keep chanting into the into the distance like past us, past anyone else, they are now just walking through the back lot of the Georgia World Congress Center, still parading. Uh, and that was when I was like, "Oh, I don't know anything about this. I have, <laughs> I have no concept about how any of this works because that was wild to me. Like it wasn't like they were they were staying parading for our sake and stopped when they turned a quarter. They turned a quarter parading and playing and chanting." And kept going. And they're like under the silver deck. Like not, no one's down there. It was wild. And then on, just just to illustrate like the, the cultural differences. On Sunday, we get up and we went, we got, we all got home at three, like at the same time. Right. And like we, it, we got home at like two. And then I didn't get to my, my room till like 245 because there were like 600 people coming home in the le- elevator lobby of the, of the Hilton downtown. And we all get home. We get back up there and say, everyone's dead on their feet. And these crazy sons of bitches, and I don't mean this as an insult, they get up at, you know, eight or whatever, and they put on like suit coats, shirts, ties, khakis, patent leather shoes, and their hats. And that's how they travel. Which, again, <laughs> I'm not even dissing it. I'm just like, what? And But the thing was, like, they were getting on a charter bus and then going to get on a charter plane. So that's just how they travel. This was not a... This wasn't like a representation thing. That was just mm-hmm. how they travel. Like, I, I, I'm i not even angry. I'm not even mad at it. I just don't. <laughs> it just is what it is. <laughs> I, I just don't. I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway. It's like getting dressed for Sunday church. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They, they got There's dressed for Sunday church. And then they got on 
a charter bus. Okay. <laughs> we, we're getting we're getting far afield here, but yeah, it yeah. is still it we have another note that we put in the preview about they let Ohio State let Irma Meyer teach a class of leadership, so fuck them. And that's still true. And and I want to talk happened, yeah. I want to talk about Ohio State. I want to talk about Ohio State fans, Ohio State alumni, people associated with Ohio State, because I think I've come up with what I what I consider to be sort of like the unified theory of Ohio State fans. And you know, I saw Ohio State's band. And this doesn't really apply to them as much because they're still college students and, like, who knows about college students. But I saw a lot of their fans. But just before the game, obviously, Georgia fans were, like, you know, still in Duluth or whatever. So we, we went and got breakfast before the game. And we were at the, what was it called? Like, Metro City Diner in downtown. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was pretty good. And so we're in this big diner that has, like, a dance club in the bottom level of it. It's very wild. And it was, like, all Ohio State fans. It was all OHIO. And and so I, I started formulating this. And then I saw Ryan Day in person, and I realized that Ryan Day definitely, 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 definitely dyes his beard hair. Definitely does, <gasps> right? There's, okay. I mean, it's it's the blackness and the glossiness of that man's beard hair. Like a twenty year old person from Italy could not produce a hair that black and glossy. Like it looked like a, like a horse's mane. Anyway. So, so I, I sort of started putting this together and I was like, what does this remind me of? Because not all Ohio State fans are, are the same. And so I have a game and this is a game that doesn't have a right answer. It's not a trivia game. It's just sort of like I want to gauge, you know, where you would put each of these people. So I'm going to give you a, a figure associated with Ohio State. And I want you to tell okay. me where they, they are they more of one thing or the other. OK. And so are I've you, decided are you ready for me to click it. Not yet. I've decided it just a okay. I've decided that basically all everyone associated with Ohio State is either a Joe Rogan or a Fred Durst. And in between <laughs> every person associated with Ohio State is somewhere in between Joe Rogan, famous podcaster, former host of the Man Show and Fear Factor, and Fred Durst, the lead singer of Limp Biscuit. Every single person associated with Ohio State is somewhere on that thing. So you can go ahead and click on it. Okay. This is called a unified a theory. Joey Rogan or Fred Durst. So I'm gonna give you a series I... of alumni. <laughs> Well, hold on, I haven't clicked on it yet. I just wanted to look up where these two people are from. Fred Durst is from uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Yes, I and know. And Fred Dur- and Joe Rogan is from Austin, Texas. Yes. Now you might say that's weird, Nathan. That neither of those people are from Ohio. But what I would respond to you is Jacksonville, Florida is just Ohio with a with a beach, right? And Austin, <laughs> yep, Texas, yep. is kind of has like a lot of douchebag tech bros, you know. I'm just saying, Austin's a great city, but it has a little Midwestern in it. You know, lots of, like, good food, but then also some bad food. Anyway, so I'm going to give you the, a series of, of of series of figures that are either Ohio State alum, people have coached at Ohio State, people associated with Ohio State. And you're going to tell me, Fred, you know, we can do this one of two ways. Either you can give me, well, I guess there are basically three options. They're either a Joe Rogan, they're a Fred Durst, or they're somewhere in between. <laughs> or, in the special case, they might be both. So let's go through these. Uh, can you We're give me, st- before we get into this game, though, I do want to ask you, what? how would you, so is it correct in assuming a Joe Frogan and Fred Durst, is, there's a spectrum there? Yes. Is that correct? Or is it one to the other? Yeah, no, it's um, fully, fully spectrum based. Yeah. Okay. Also, can we have some defining characteristics of both of these people for those that might not be yes. as familiar okay. with both these you're people? Okay, you're right. You're right. Okay. So the Joe Rogan side of the spectrum is like, I would say people who's favorite books are the books they read in high school or college and they kind Mm -hmm. of have traveled as they've gone through high school college from like uh catcher in the rye to you know 
maybe they then read like some Chuck Palahniuk in college or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they, you know, they, they took some more, uh, some more lingua, you know, English classes and they ended up reading like infinite Jest. You know, these are yep, people, yep. Uh, the Joe Rogans of the world are people who really liked Joaquin Phoenix's the Joker. Okay. And oh, no. think that yeah. that's the best movie. They're also people who maybe like, uh, have, you know, tattoos about muscle milk or like uh, weightlifting related <laughs> tattoos, or you know, they uh-huh. have a shirt that says like "This body built in the iron factory" or whatever. Um, and these Ooh. are also so. And if you want to think no, about a sh- go ahead. If you want to think about a shirt spectrum, okay? So like your Joe Rogans are body by uh, body by iron factory slash you know obscure band shirt people. Now your mm-hmm. Fred Durst are like the milf hunter people shirt. Like they have shirts that say milf hunter, or they have shirts that say like man and then myth and then legend and the legend one points to the penis you know what i mean so the fred durst are your like um people who you look at and from far away you're like that person smells skunky you know not like Mm -hmm. a skunk but skunky you know what i mean or like people people who once owned jinko jeans or people who uh work out in denim um people who like do (laughs) people who did People who did high school or college wrestling, which is fine, but are still like in their 40s really serious about it and think they're still in good wrestling shape. Um, People who watch a lot of MMA fights. These are your Fred Durst. Now, MMA is probably the intersectional point between Joe Rogan and Fred Durst, I would say, because you have, you know, you have like the, the, the Joe Rogan side that's like, oh, what a beautiful sport. What an art. Like this is the squared circle or whatever. Right. And you have like the tap out shirts. Right. But then you also, as Justin Smith on our on our, our live watch is putting out, you also have like the Ed Hardy shirts. And I think the tap out shirt is perfect, is the perfect middle ground between Fred Durst and Joe Rogan, because it is simultaneously like a little bit pretentious, thinks it's smarter than it is, but also like kind of white trash, right? And and before before we identify any of these people, it's important to point out that I have no judgment for, for for the Fred Durst of the world. I myself am white. I'm white trash. Now, I think Joe Rogan is a human pile of garbage, but that doesn't mean that all of your Joe Rogans are themselves human piles of garbage. That's important to remember, mm-hmm. right? Like, not not everybody in who is a Joe Rogan is like a vaccine denier. They just have yeah. Joe Rogan energy. I would define like people like Joe Rogans are men who are five nine that say they're six foot tall, right? And Fred Durst are men who are like five six who want to fight six feet tall people, but don't care if they tell you that they're five six, right? So that's yeah. the that's our spectrum here. Okay, that is a good sort of distillation of all of this. Okay, so let's get into this game. I'm ready. Some of these are gonna blow your mind. All right, Harlan Ellison. Yeah, I, I think so. Harlan Ellison, sci-fi author. He wrote, "I have no mouth and I must bleed." Ohio State yep. alumnus. Where would we put him? And Psycho. Right, and Psycho. Uh, no, that's Brett Easton Ellis wrote American Psycho. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, I think that Harlan Ellison. So I, I, I think that he might be leaning harder to Joe Rogan's side. If I, I had so. to put him anywhere, and the picture I have of him, he is wearing a yellow blazer that has the arms of it rolled up to the elbows. Ugh. And I feel like that kind of Miami Vice is a little bit more Joe Rogan than it is Fred Durst. Okay. Yeah. It's also, he gives me the vibes of like somebody who read The Fountainhead and it changed his life. Mm, now, The Fountainhead. Fountainhead is a big Joe Rogan thing. And I, I'm sorry I forgot yeah. to say this. Yeah. Ayn Rand, if, if anyone has ever said the phrase intellectual dark web, but not as a joke, 
they're a Joe Rogan. Full <laughs> Joe Rogan. Okay. Now, next. This one's uh, hard. This one's hard because, you know, we have a progressive uh, political figure here. Sherrod Brown, U.S. Senator, went to Ohio State. Uh, Maybe the closest thing in the U.S. Senate to a Democratic Socialist. I mean, he's not a Democratic Socialist, but he has yeah, some yeah. very progressive ideas. Very much a Labor Party guy. So what uh-huh. do we think about Sherrod Brown? See, so this is pure speculation. I think that he's probably more of a Fred Durst kind of guy, and this is why. Fred Durst strikes me as somebody – this is all related, I guess. Earlier you said that Fred Durst is somebody who doesn't know that the guy he wants to fight is much bigger than him. And if he did, it wouldn't matter. And yeah. that does sort of give me yeah. Sherrod Brown energy and, and, I would and vice say versa. Fred Durst is a man of the people, right? Like I don't think you can be – like, I don't think Fred Durst, as the lead singer of Limp Biscuit, ever was like, thought he was better than people because he was rich, right? Exactly. I, I mean, I, I don't know that Fred Durst ever, like, if you told me today Fred Durst lives in a $1 million triple wide trailer, I would. it's still probably better than my house, A, and B, like, I wouldn't oh, yeah. disbelieve you, right? And Man of the People, definitely a Fred Durst. All right, next, this one surprised me. But I, I think it's a good question. R.L. Stein, author of the Goosebumps <laughs> books, is an Ohio State alumnus. R.L. Stein. So I know that R.L. Stein's actually. So he is one of those people who disproves the the old adage of like never meet your heroes. R.L. Stein, great guy, fantastic, still to okay. this day doing a okay. lot of great things for people. Um, very progressive still. So I think that he still gives Fred Durst energy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. No, I think that I think that's a good point. He's he's uh he's he's closer. If you look at the the picture we have of him, no one with these, <laughs> no one with the eyebrows that R.L. Stein has is taking themselves too seriously, you know, or giving a shit about what you think about them. Yeah, yeah, and I mean this is a compliment. This dude has giant caterpillar eyebrows. Now I have two in a row here that are really easy. Okay, I th- I, I think. also think. This is another uh, sort of correlation between R.L. Stein and Fred Durst is like, I feel like if anybody tried to roast Fred Durst or R.L. Stein, both of them could say like Fred Durst is like, dude, I wrote, I did it all for the ducky. I do not care what you think about me. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. R.L. Yeah. Stein's like, I did goosebumps. <laughs> like, get off my dick. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, didn't he write, uh, are you afraid of the dark? He was a writer on that show. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can be like, I terrified millions of children. I, I fed on their yeah. dream energy. You think you scare me, you piece of shit? Yeah, absolutely. All right. George Steinbrenner, owner of the Yankees, is an Ohio State alumnus. Mm. Uh, I don't know anything about George Steinbrenner, but I'm going to say Joe Rogan. Oh, that's a Joe Rogan. That's a Joe Rogan. So that's a hard. Joe Rogan. Never Yankees been a bigger owner, Joe Rogan. Yeah, 27 rings, like did it all with the money. That's Joe Rogan so hard. J.D. Vance. Even like baseball. Yeah, yeah. Very JD, unlikable. J.D. Vance is... JD Vance's own side of the spectrum, I believe, because I dislike JD Vance so much <laughs> that he yes now he gets his own part of this. I, here's what I will say: JD Vance, I feel like is he's so Joe Rogan that he is like the extension that you add on to the spectrum past Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote he's a downloadable Hill- content. Yeah, he wrote <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy, a book about how like oh, actually, like the bad things in the universe are because like like white people uh, who are poor. Are why, like you know, like the the hillbillies fell apart. I don't know. It was simultaneously really mm-hmm. inaccurate when talking about rural poor white people, but also very insulting to them. That's JD Vance. Yeah. He also, I'm almost certain, has been on Joe Rogan's podcast. 
Hold on, I'm, I'm going to double check. I'm this. not even going to look it up. I guarantee you have, he has been on Joe Rogan's podcast. Let's see. And they just sat there and like tried to out shitty each other, just out shithead one another. He yes was absolutely all right. <laughs> Next. Next, incredible. We got we got some. I, I got some people. I got some obvious ones. Some not obvious ones. Bob Knight. He went to Ohio State. Basketball coach, former famous Indiana basketball coach. <sighs> Uh, I don't know much about his personal life. Here's the thing. He, I'm going to say yeah. throwing a chair across an active basketball oh, game court, that's Fred Durst energy. That's, I was going to say that's Joe Rogan energy, but oh. I don't know why he did it. Now, Bobby, was it for the nookie? That's true. Or, or was it for the intellectual <laughs> dark dog? Now, Bob Knight might be a good like neutral zero pH on the Joe Rogan he Fred could, Durst spectrum. He could be a true neutral. Yeah. yeah. He he. I think he might be zero pH. He, he is simultaneously... You know, thinks he's smarter than everyone else, but is like fully embraces the beauty of his white trash heritage. And man, that is him. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a surprising one. Here's another guy that kind of comes off the Z axis. Uh, that would be hmm. J.K. Simmons, actor. Uh, famously, he is. I think he's like the farmer's insurance guy, and he was in Whiplash. He was. Yep. He's he, Juno's he, dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, was yellow the yellow M&M? M&M? Is that true as well? <laughs> Are we like saying it. that he just looks I love like the yellow M&M? Yeah, I do too. I, I love him. He, he does kind of look he's like also a vo- He's also a, a voice actor in Portal. A very, very good voice actor hmm. in Portal too. Very yeah. good game. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I don't think he's full Fred Durst, but I do think he leans Fred Durst. That At mm. the end of the day, like he's mm-hmm. so recognizable. You know his name. He's like, I'm J.K. Simmons. I, I, do, not, I do not care. Now... Now we come back to the the inceptor of this spectrum. That would be mm-hmm. Ryan Day, head football coach, Ohio State. I don't think he's full Joe Rogan, but I think he does lean on that side. Like mm-hmm. if this were we're looking at like a quadrant graph, he's like <laughs> he's definitely chaos, like a like a little bit of chaos, but a lot more like I think headstrong and does care about what you think. Yeah, I, I agree, and I also would say I think that. Uh, clean-shaven Ryan Day might lean Fred Ooh. Durst, but bearded mm-hmm. Ryan Day is like full Joe Rogan. Big, big Joe Rogan. Now, if he yeah, stops, right. if he stops uh, dying his beard, bearded Ryan Day might come back a little bit towards Fred Durst to yeah. the light. Come you back to the mean? light. All right, yeah, Urban, yeah. Urban Meyer, head Ugh. football coach. <laughs> Uh, All Joe Rogan. right now. Yeah, fully Joe Rogan. <laughs> Has he been on Joe Rogan's podcast? Yeah. Urban Meyer owns like six pairs of Oakleys that he's never put on. You know, Urban Meyer's personal Facebook page profile is probably a picture of him in Oakleys. I would I would bet $1,000. <laughs> he's the most Joe Rogan of Joe uh. Urban Meyer groped up. Now, here, you might be thinking, you might be thinking, if listeners at home, that Urban Meyer, because of his association with Jacksonville, is Fred Durst. That's not true. Because here, here's two reasons why I know that's not true. One. Fred Durst would never, never grope a girl against her will in a Jacksonville nightclub because Fred Durst would pay a girl to let him grope her <laughs> consensually, the, mutually for the yeah, for the, for the nookie. Consent. Fred Durst goes to the champagne room. The he doesn't need to sexually assault people. It's for the nookie, right? And and, mm-hmm. and you know Fred Durst. He wrote uh, what was it? Chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water. Like that's a dude who is all about consent. What? Heard of Did this. you not know this? No. You're one of the lucky 10,000 who gets to find this out. The wildest thing is that you still have another question on here. After oh. all that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. that We're not even done on the Ohio State. <laughs> on the uh, on the Ohio State. <laughs> so, yeah. Last one. This one. 
This one is that this is a man who I think you can make an argument either way for. Luke Fickle, head football coach at Wisconsin. Yeah, at Wisconsin. Yeah. Now he was at Cincinnati previously. He went to Ohio State and he was their interim coach after Urban Meyer got fired. So what would mm-hmm. we say about Luke Fickle? Because one thing you got to know about Luke Fickle personally is big Catholic guy, like big Catholic. Mm-hmm. Guy. He's big into Catholicism. He has a big old family. One of the reasons that he, I, I heard on Split Zone Duo and I think one of their patron shows, they talked about how he never even really considered Auburn because uh, there's no parochial school for him to send his kids to near there. So he has, wow. he has I think, six kids. Uh, I have a picture of him and mm-hmm. his very Catholic family. So what are we so thinking Catholic. here? So I, I realize now um, the error of my way is that you softball, just like softball this joke to me at this point that I could have used the did it all for the nookie now. But reusing it again, <laughs> yeah, it loses some zhuzh, you know? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I do believe, you know, a man, a Catholic man with all these children, he did yeah. do that all for the Nookie, at the yeah. very least. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't the hurt. The Nookie is very versatile. I mean, I think... So it didn't hurt. I, don't th- I think Luke Fickle might say more like, the Nookie didn't hurt, like it was, it was a fringe benefit. Oh, yeah. we just beat Auburn in basketball. Hey, cool. Hey, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. Uh, first uh, first really SEC exciting. win for our boy Mike White. Not to be confused with former since Auburn February quarterback of last year. <laughs> yeah, since February last year. So, Wolf. yeah, I, I also think Luke Fickle is a Fred Durst because, like, of Joe Rogan or Fred Durst, who is more likely to have six kids? I guess oh, definitely yeah. Fred well, Durst. I don't know. Let's look up how yeah, many kids I they think have. So. <laughs> okay, so Fred Durst has two acknowledged children. I also just want to point out that Fred Durst openly says that he's five eight. That is that's 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 respectable. Also, Fred Durst is aging pretty that. well. Good for you. Good for you, Fred Durst. You know, just be unproblematic. So let's see. Yeah, remain that way. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, Joe Rogan, I don't believe Joe Rogan has two. Joe Rogan has. Yeah, he has two children as well. Anyway, let's, that's let's the end of my on. game. Thank you for this this experience. Joe uh, Rogan or Fred Durst, <laughs> a unified theory of <laughs> Ohio State fandom. Lord. OK, well. Where the, what are you, how, where the hell are we? Um, We're going to talk about our experiences, but I, I can understand how your mind wow. has been ex- expanded so much <laughs> that you, you can't I'm going to be going through my life for the next few days being like, what would Fred Durst do? What would Joe Rogan do in this experience? Like, yeah. Trying to make sure that I don't make the wrong decisions <laughs> anywhere along the way, you know? Um Anyway, okay, let's talk about our experiences a little bit. And, and you've talked a little bit about yours. You were at the game. I was not at the game. I was here in Athens. Um, I am very excited to spend another uh, big playoff season in Athens because the playoff games last year were really fun. Um, and, of course, the national championship was super fun to be in Athens for. And uh, I'm, I've had just as much fun this time around. But just kind of my headline for this game, I think, if I were to write an article about this, is just, my God, what a comeback. Like, I gave up. I'll say it. I was already at the point of, you know, let go, let God. I was ready for the loss. I was at peace with it. I had taken most of the fourth quarter to be like, that's fine. It's fine. You know, a lot of teams don't come back and do the thing again. You know, you just got to give it feel to like God. I had been given something. Yeah. You got to give it to go, God. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I enjoyed some of the game at home. I enjoyed some of the game at Chuck's Fish, Kirby Smart's favorite uh, fish centered restaurant, along with local celebrity Ben Pulaski. Um, finally, I was at Cutters for the second half of the game with, uh, like seemingly a thousand of my closest friends, uh, lots of people there, Cutters, they're bringing in the new year, but I 
wasn't even drinking. I was so stressed. <laughs> By the fourth quarter, you know, it had kind of come down, and then I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what? I just don't want to fight the line to get a drink, mm-hmm. and it's fine. Um, and so, yeah, sober as a judge, brought in the new year, sitting there watching it happen. But I will say, like, I stood there at Cutters, and it was nearing midnight, and it was like 11.50 when I realized this game might not be over. This might This game might go into 2023. And it could not have been written better the timing that occurred. And I'm sure this is an experience for a lot of people, but I will never forget how surreal it was to be sitting there. And as time sort of like slowed down in my own experience, from my own perspective of people all around starting to count down from 10, nine, all the way to one. And as one hit, the ball was veering left from the field goal posts. And it was just, I had a moment where I was like, are we counting down to what will be the most disappointing New Year's of my life? Or are we counting down to like a moment that I will remember forever because this is so exciting? Like this probably if it did, if it went through, that would have replaced the the time that is so burnt into my memory of the SEC championship game where it was the biggest letdown um, with Aaron Murray throwing it to Malcolm Mitchell um, and the game just sort of ending, you know, having mm-hmm. a super exciting drive. And then all of a sudden it just ends. <laughs> but that is so etched in my mind. This is so etched in my mind. It would have been etched in my mind either way, but it was just, it was so cool, so neat to have all that happen. And then, yeah, it felt very much like a very, uh, like a core memory in, in many ways, I will say. And, yeah, core memory um, unlocked for sure. Core memory unlocked. Uh, this is an example truly of how resilient Georgia is. And that's something Kirby said in the post game is just, you know, our defense was, he, never, he didn't use the word shambles, but... Um, he talked a little bit about how, you know, the, the defense was kind of, uh, there were a lot of injuries on the defense, there were a lot of injuries on the offense. Uh, the defense was a lot more injured than the offense, but it just kind of proved how absolutely deep this team is. It's unreal that the defense could be as banged up as it was and still keep the best offense in the league from winning this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big reason for that is, is, yes, Marvin Harrison was out by the end of the game. We can talk about that in a second and how that did affect the game, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was an unreal game to watch. It was probably it might be one of I think it is top three best Georgia games I've ever seen. Um, and I would have not have been that upset if we did lose because I had a good time watching it. It was a very good game to watch. What about you? Tell me a little bit about your time. Well, I mean, obviously, it was a good game to watch. I will admit in regards to the New Year's Eve stuff by the fourth quarter, I had fully forgotten it was New Year's Eve until after yep. we, after we won. I think after we played, after they played uh, Angel Tag, Brett pointed at his watch, the band, and was like, hey, Happy New Year's or whatever. And that was kind of a good moment. But let's see. I already talked about how sort of different Ohio State's band was. I, I p- played a lot of Switch Sports Bowling on this trip with Andrew <laughs> Blair and Kylan and had a good time. We, we had some really good food. We went to this uh, Chinese food place in Atlanta called Hsu's. It was really good. It was, mm-hmm. a, yeah, it was clearly a place that a lot of celebrities had been to, including the entire cast of uh, uh, Fast and Furious, as well as Han from the Fast and Furious franchise, who my wife is deeply it's in fun. love with. And so I got a picture <laughs> of that picture. Yeah, no, my life, uh, Samantha would leave me for Han. That's true. Uh, I will say, okay, I didn't get to experience this at the Oregon game because I was doing a gig with the Battle of Soloist, but, you know, they have a little dog walk now, quote unquote, or I guess nut walk. I don't know what the the Ohio state would call theirs, but they have a dog walk Not outside walk. of MBS for both of the teams. And it was pretty cool. It was a good experience. The teams came through. They have, there's like these two long paths of like paved 
or like you know big wide pedestrian pass that we set up around it was really fun let's mm-hmm. see as for the day of the game i mean i thought that the red coat band just like perfect water breeding technique the whole time they were just like fully locked in full moisturized fully like in their lane dark dark mm-hmm. horse heisman candidates all the way through they had a, a rough beginning of practice uh, when we did a practice the day before the game but then they kind of just turned it on and it didn't turn it off until after the game it was really impressive uh, i also gave up i was like fully ready to spend this next weekend at home with my wife and like sort of looking forward to it i wasn't like disappointed when we won or anything i was just like oh no i don't get to time spend time with samantha <laughs> womp womp uh they womp. yeah we got i read coat i i i hugged every sousaphone after we won I went around oh. and hugged all 32 of them. Oh, in the fourth quarter, when we started making some defensive stands, because I was like, okay, we might score a couple of times, but until we get a stop, we're not going to change anything. In the fourth quarter, I was like, we're not going to win this game, no matter how many points we score, unless we get a couple of stops. And so we were just mm-hmm. like, we were playing choker on every down, or we were playing G on every down. And at one point, they called choker, and man, this was the stupidest thing I've ever done. I guess I already admitted this on Twitter, so that's fine. But they called they they called choker and I put up the hand signal to choker, which is a hand around the throat. And what I was so enthusiastic that instead of doing that, what I ended up doing was actually like slapping myself really hard in the larynx. Uh, and it really <laughs> hurt, like really, really hurt. Yep. And then I just yelled all the way through the fourth quarter. So at the end of the game, I was walking around. And I was like, man, I really got to spit. And this is gross, but I guess I'll just spit on the studio on the like not studio, but on the stairs here where I'm standing. And so I yeah. spit. And then I looked down and I was like, oh, I'm spitting blood. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm fine. But it was it was high intensity. We didn't get back to the hotel until like 245. And I would love to tell you that I like rallied and celebrated New Year's Eve, but I did not. I went to bed at like 250. Good for you. Yeah. I was just like, I'm, I'm it's dead important to the world. Stuff. Yeah. And then I got up the next day and I was wearing like joggers and a t-shirt. And it was the kind of thing where when I got on the bus... It looked like I was walk of shaming off a hangover, but I was as sober as a judge, as you said. <laughs> it was just like yep. the the world had gotten me hungover. Like I was just like emotionally oh, yeah. strung out. This is a wild time. Yeah. So let's move into a little bit of our quantitative review of this game. Something we said going into this this uh, game last week was they're good at everything, like everything. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, does that remain true after looking through our game on paper review? And you can kind of go through some of the stats here, Nathan, share with the people at home what we came away from this game looking at. Was it, you know, did both these teams play to their top percentile or did one of them let themselves down? Like where were the deficits and sort of what did we come away from? What did we learn? Yeah. So I, I thought there were some interesting stats from our percentile performances from game on paper i also have Mm -hmm. some pff stuff that we can talk about when we talk about the defense in a minute but overall epa per play wise uh, ohio state was at 0.21 per play which is 82nd percentile over the last two years and georgia was at 0.38 per play which was 96 percentile we truly just out fought them uh 88 percentile in success rate for ohio state 83rd in success rate for uga you know, I mean, it was just a pretty superlative effort on the passing everywhere, everywhere you go in the passing. But it's interesting that like UGA just essentially outpassed Ohio State 98th percentile mm-hmm. in yards per play, 90, 94th percentile in EPA per drop back. But then neither of these teams really ran it that successfully. Uh, EPA per rush, Georgia had 0.08 and Ohio State had 
couldn't really get a running game going. Uh, you know, explosive plays. Now, this was what was interesting to me. For a team mm-hmm. that was just so full of talent in terms of offensive skill positions, Ohio State, when calculated by EPA added, Ohio State was only only had 5% of their plays be explosives. They're good for 16th percentile. On the other hand, UGA wow. had 18% explosive play rate, which is good for 99, 99th percentile. Now, depending on whether you gauge those numbers through yards or EPA added changes how those percentiles would be. But ultimately, it was interesting to me because like Ohio State moved the ball. It felt like it will. But I think we did a decent job of preventing the really big play. Most of Ohio State's biggest plays were like 20 to 25 yards down the field, but not like 70 yards, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, also worth pointing out, red zone success rate, uh, 38% for Ohio State, 45% for UGA. Neither good, but UGA's defense did manage to bone up when they could make Ohio State get to the red zone. Uh, defensive run stuff rate. Now, this is interesting. Uh, we were in the 11th percentile in terms of dis- dis- defensive run stuff caused. We stuffed 11% of their runs, which is good for 0th percentile. It's a very bad, bad performance from our running offense. Now, our running defense, rather. Now, whether or not, you know, Ohio State rash- rushed rushed for 28 yards, for, or 28 times for 155 yards. That was 5.5 yards yards per play, which is good. Mm -hmm. So I I think that that number might be a little bit, I don't know, inflated, changed a little bit. But if you look at the rushing breakdown, we, let's see, they had two power run attempts. They had one successful power run. So they got 50% of the power run attempts. They had three stuffed stuffed runs and only eight stopped runs, right? So uh, only 11% of their game, of their, the, the times that they run went for less than or equal to zero yards. Now, I think that, kind of reflects their ability to to some extent neutralize Jalen Carter's impact on the game uh, I thought mm-hmm. that part of their plan was that they were going to double team Jalen and maybe sometimes triple team him and the other part of the plan and I'm not complaining about the rest because that's what I don't, I don't know it doesn't matter because we won yeah it doesn't matter but uh, uh, the other part of their plan was that they just they just held they just held him like on every play yeah. and there is holding on every, every play. play and that's fine but like they tackled him a couple of times and and it's mm-hmm. You know, I thought that the refing was bad, but it was kind of bad both ways. And in, in many times, I mean, we talked about Kirby Smart's timeout earlier in the episode, but we didn't talk about the fact that Kirby Smart had to call the timeout because they didn't call the twelve man on the twelve men on the field penalty. They had twelve men yeah. in the set, so I thought it was just kind of universally bad refing. But I thought, in in particular, some of the no calls on holding were pretty egregious. And and I know that we got away with some stuff as well, and so it doesn't really bother me. I don't know that it like net impacted the game, but it is, it is just worth pointing out that that was an effective tactic. And look, if, if TCU plays Georgia and they don't call holds, like that's going to be a problem for us, right? Uh, I, I also thought it was just interesting because like per game on paper stats, Ohio State actually had four points of turnover luck in this game in terms of mm-hmm. how many turnovers you they were expected to get based on how they played, based on how versus how many they actually got. We had a fumble and a an interception, I guess that we gave up, I think. And it was just interesting because I felt like, I I don't know. I felt like that Ohio state fans felt like we were lucky, but by expected performance, they were actually pretty lucky when it came to turnovers. I, and we can talk about individual players in a minute, but I mean, if you look at the win probability of this game, this was a 
this was a game that Ohio State, for the most part of the game, deserved to win. I mean, through the third yeah. and fourth quarter, they had an 80 to 85% win percentile chance. Now, ultimately, you, if you want to beat the King, you got to beat him for all 60 minutes, right? And so, yeah. you know, I, I don't necessarily feel bad for Ohio State's team or anything or bad for their fans, but I, I think it is... I think Kirby said this, and I think also maybe Ryan Day said this, that, you know, Iowa State deserved to win this game. And that's fine. They did. Yeah, uh, absolutely. uh, I would say on a down-to-down basis, UGA had a better offensive EPA output. UGA had a better yard per play output, and they had a better points per drive output. So even if situationally Mm -hmm. you you deserve to win the game, you can't... If you have a defense that surrenders the kind of performance that Ohio State's did from an, an offense like Georgia's, which has been if not bad, but not like a number one offense in the nation, then, you know, more like number four or five, like, then, yeah, you're going to lose some games that way. And I and I think really that the, the mm-hmm. missed kick is the least of Ohio State's problems, right? If you if you do any if you do one thing differently, like eight or nine times in the game, Ohio State wins the game. But I would point out that if Ohio, if Stetson Bennett doesn't throw that interception, they probably lose by like seven or eight points, right? So, yeah, it w- it was a close game. I found it to be incredibly exciting. I don't think anybody has any cause to to put their head down. This was a, a back and forth affair, and you know it came down to a kick, but really it came down to three or four individual plays, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think that it, at any point in the game, this could have looked like a very different game, like. There were missed field goals. There were, like you said, lots of refing moments that could have changed the tide of a game. Like these teams were very equally matched. And I think, you know, one thing one thing we said in the preview episode was that we're going to if one thing that would indicate that things are going well and going in Georgia's favor is if we keep Ohio State from scoring huge plays. And mm-hmm. by these numbers, their explosive play rate, 16th percentile, 5% of the time, we did exactly that. You You prevented Ohio State from doing what they do well and what got them here. And I think that Georgia was able to do that. Ohio State did that as well. Um, but Georgia was able to adapt to that. And mm-hmm. we were able to play a much better offensive game than we've played basically all season. And so I think that that's kind of our secret stuff. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's Kirby's secret stuff. He pulls out the water bottle with the tape on it, the Sharpie that says Kirby's secret stuff. And, and it's up like, hey, water. I got other stuff up my sleeve. Yeah. It's just water. It was in you all all the time. Well, I mean, that, that's uh, the check. That's the secret. The Chekhov's gun offense, right? That, that was... Mm-hmm. In terms of, I thought most important plays were interesting. Uh, the most important play in terms of win percentage added was actually the uh, CJ Stroud run that set them up for the field goal. It was like first and 10 oh, and yeah. he ends at 27 yards. That actually had a 32% win percentage added. The second most important is the missed field goal. Or no, it was 49% for almost 50% win percentage added. But then uh, when they missed the field goal, it was negative 42% win percentage added, right? The other direction. The CJ Stroud run, that was really where I got to the point where I was like, I'm at peace. <laughs> like, yeah. We got outplayed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that was the one. I was like, CJ Stroud's felt, good. He's I, so damn good. He is. And, and and honestly, it is a it is a testament to what Kirby Smart has built that, you know, I think a lot of the way, I mean, for, I don't know, 75% of this game, I kind of felt like, man, you know, sometimes you just play a team that has a hot hand at quarterback. We saw it with Tua. Mm-hmm. We saw it with Jalen. We saw it with Joe Burrow, and it is a testament to the level of talent and skill and development on this team that Georgia played the guy. Like CJ Stroud was they played the, the guy. guy. Now, I you know you can debate. I don't. I'm not an NFL guy. I don't know if CJ Stroud is going to be Joe Burrow. I don't know if he's going to be Tua even. But like 
there, there's no debating the fact that like on that field that night, CJ Straub was the best player on the field, except yeah. for arguably Stetson Bennett. And I, and I think that mm-hmm. that kind of leads us into the, their stat lines. And I, and I want to kind of talk about some statistical things with Stetson Bennett and CJ Straub. They both went mm-hmm. 23 for 34. Stetson Bennett went for 398, three touchdowns, one interception, two sacks taken, and a rushing touchdown. CJ Stroud went for 348 for four touchdowns, no interceptions, four sacks taken. By QBR, by uh, by traditional NFL passing rating, Stetson Bennett had a better night than CJ Stroud. Right now, you can mm-hmm. argue about you know the relative strengths of their defenses and offenses, but just by pure by pure performance, he had a better night. And I I, I do think it's interesting that uh, Stetson Bennett actually had a much higher Detmer. Detmer is the stat mm-hmm. that the Sickos community keeps uh, for like just like chucking it up, like <laughs> putting the ball in, yeah. the, putting the ball in risky positions. And he definitely had one interception, and he had another one that maybe should have been intercepted. But I, I mean, look at this point, I don't know what you say about it. I mean, he was if like throwing downfield more than twenty yards, he went on the day. This is all per f- Pro Football Focus. He threw downfield for more than twenty yards eight times, and on those eight times, he went. Four for eight for, uh, let's see, 178 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And, you know, as a dude who got knocked for throwing downfield, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good day. Now, over the middle of the field, shorter end, intermediate and short passes, he was lights out. He was five for seven on passes between 10 and 20 yards for 108 yards. He was seven for seven on short passes in the middle of the field for 48 yards. I mean, he he did it all. He threw a deep pass touchdown. He threw a sort of intermediate touchdown. He threw a behind-the-line touchdown. He was just absolutely lights out. And and mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I Look, we were one of the sources. We were haters last year about Sets a Minute. We were haters. And we were wrong. Oh, yeah. And it's time to eat crow. We were wrong about it. We were not right. Sets a Minute is a very, very good. He's a great, he's a great college quarterback. I don't care about what he does in the NFL. He was a great college quarterback. He was offensively he had a 65.8 grade, which is, you know, not insane. I mean, I, I, I'm fairly certain that the, that CJ Stroud, like by comparison per PFF had a better game. Yeah. CJ Stroud by comparison had a 90, 92.2 uh, grade on all of his throws. So obviously he had like, I, I would say like uh, by NFL standards, a better game, but at the end of the day, like Stetson Bennett won the game for this team, right? The kick doesn't matter if Stetson Bennett doesn't lead the, lead two key uh, touchdown drives. He was he was yeah. pretty much lights out when they didn't get pressure on him. He was uh, when like when it come when it came to rushing, he was just like like when he was kept clean. He was let's see, on twenty seven dropbacks, he was nineteen for twenty six, seventy three percent completion percentage, three hundred forty seven yards, thirteen point three yards per attempt. Three touchdowns, no interceptions when kept clean. Now, when he was under pressure, which was uh, a full 28.9% of the time, which was his highest pressure rate of the game or of the year, he was, let's see, on 11 dropbacks, he was he had eight attempts, four completions, 50% completion attempt uh, rating, a uh, completion percentage, 51 yards, 6.4 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, one interception. So clearly, when they put pressure on him, he got worse and they put pressure on him more often than pretty much any other team has, right? And so that, I think, speaks to Ohio State's just base talent level. But also, I think it speaks to, you know, I mean, he's every quarterback is a different quarterback when they have a dude in their face, and, and Stetson is no 
he's not exempt from that. But ultimately, he did enough with the opportunities that he could make passes on to win the game. And that's what matters, right? When he wasn't, when he was kept clean, he had a 153.5 NFL passer rating. When he was under pressure, he had a 30.7 NFL passer rating. That's pretty much the whole thing, right? He just. That's, yeah, that's the full tweet. (laughs) I mean, like that, they got pressure on him at a higher rate than anyone else had the entire year. And because of that, they came damn close to winning to winning the game. Now, um, mm-hmm. is there anything else you want to talk about? I think you have a couple of uh, like chef's kiss moments, and I think most <laughs> of them are on yeah. offense. You want to you want to talk us through some other offensive things here, and then I'll talk about the defense. Yeah, some other offensive moments. Uh, you know, new segment alert: little chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some little little moments that we can all remember together. You know, as we we leave this game behind us and we look forward to the national championship but uh the play with arian smith absolutely torching his coverage mm-hmm. leaving him behind uh, chef's kiss magatasha milton had a lovely night both of the touchdown each Mwah-mwah. chef's kiss for both my boys <laughs> uh <laughs> the two-point conversion i gotta say that's something that i had almost forgotten about until looking at the notes here that the two-point conversion with lad Ah, chef's kiss. So sweet. We almost didn't have Lad tonight, and I'm so glad we did, and I'm so glad that he was so consequential on this two-point conversion. Chef's kiss for him. Ah, actually, I gave him a hard eyes in the notes, but Brock Bowers in his renaissance painting looking ass snagging that first down. That was one of my favorite things. Like, Brock Bowers this season has proven that I think he may just be an alien that touched down, like walked onto campus and was like, uh, I'll try. Um, and then became a football player. And he just like, I'm thinking back to just the strangest moments with Brock Bauer. He just, he plays tight end in a very unique way. And that's partly because of Todd Monk and scheme. He is huge. Like I, I think back to like his, uh, his 2020 tryout video that he sent in of him just running up a hill over and over again and doing it very fast. <laughs> um, but no, just the Renaissance painting, esque uh slow motion and like still of him just so uh, it's just so athletic and so beautiful it's it's art it's truly art Mm -hmm. him uh getting that first down just barely before he goes out of bounds uh i loved it it's fantastic and i gotta say another thing about this team that gets a chef's kiss is that i feel like the difference between georgia and every other team that is talking about that team they have fans and sportscasters yelling about like how their star player is that guy. He is that dude, is the dude. And I think that part of the issue and part of the discourse that comes from the conversation around Stetson Bennett is that we don't have just one dude. We don't have just one dude on this team. And that's exactly what we saw through this. Like when Kirby Smart says his team is resilient, what he means is they are all that dude. (laughs) We have so many of that dude on this team. And it's just like we've talked about it game and game after game about how this team messes up and then they clean up and mm-hmm. that's what separates a good team from a great team and it's because this team is just a bunch of that dude and chef's kiss to each of them yeah all my boys they all get a chef's kiss tonight forehead kiss sleep yeah. well my boys offensively you, it. you earned it i think skill players came to play it'll be really interesting to see if darnell washington this will this will be for our, our preview that will come out in a couple of days but it'll be really interesting to see if darnell washington can go because if he can i think it's a different prospect yes than if you can't, I thought our predictions, even though our sport, our, our points for predictions were not as good as they could have been. Yours was pretty good. 38, 27, at least for our score. Mine was 35, 31. 
uh, maybe a little bit more accurate for the way the game played. But I thought that our mm-hmm. analysis of like, this is going to be a close game was accurate. Anything else before we get Absolutely. out of here? Well, oh, sorry. We got to talk about the defense. All right. So listen, uh, uh, fewer chef's kisses to give. I will say I thought Nazir Stackhouse had a really good day. I mean, he was he was he was mm-hmm. he had three tackles. He has an assist. He only gave up one missed tackle. He had three stop plays. Twenty one percent of his plays on the field were stop plays. He he was good, dude. He he had a, and he also had a penetration yep. for a sack. I think uh, I thought that they did a pretty effective job of of neutralizing Jalen Carter. He only had one tackle. He only had one stop, which was for a tackle. He had no penetration plays. He had no tackles for loss. Um, I think the guy who stands out as just like, man, having a bad day. There's some other good days. So let me, let me, let me give some, some chef's kisses first, I guess. Uh, chef kiss to Barry Alexander, especially in the pass rush. He would, Barry Alexander, number 99, number two in our hearts behind our boy JD. Barry Alexander was on the field mm-hmm. for, for 12 pass rush plays where he rushed the passer. He got, he had a, he had a perfect pressure rate of the 12 pass rush plays. He was on the field. He, uh, he, basically like produce some sort of pressure all 12 of them he had one full like in the backfield pressure one hurry he had uh he won 30 percent of his battles on the day he had you know in true pass sets he rushed six times for a hurry he won 20 percent of his tang uh 20 percent of his uh battles in true pass sets just a really big performance from a, fr- uh, a freshman who we are going to need to contribute a lot next year. Another chef's kiss to Javon Bullard for just a, for having one of the best, uh, one of the better, actually one of the better coverage grades on the day for Georgia's secondary, which we'll talk about in a second, but B for just Mm -hmm. a truly like beautiful hit. And I get it. Like, I don't want anyone to get injured. I'm not happy that Marvin Harrison Jr. got injured. That was a clean hit. It was, you know, we can have a different existential talk about how violent football is and whether or not that should continue. But under the rules, that was not a penalty. And, I mean, what mattered about the play was not that he knocked Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game, I think. What mattered about the play is that there's a decent chance that Marvin Harrison Jr. catches that ball, right? And then yeah. and then they win the game. And and so Javon, you know, he was up and down on coverage, but he looked really good in pass rush. He had a 71.2 pass rush grade, uh, only third on the team. Or, sorry, uh, no, he had 69.2, which is good for fourth on the team. Uh, Bear Alexander had the best pass, pass rush game in the game. I also thought that Mikel Williams looked pretty good. He only had a 59.7 pass rush grade, but he had three pressures and a sack. Um, he had two quarterback hurries. And I don't know. I thought he looked pretty good on it, you know? Uh, yeah. Coverage-wise. Okay, so <laughs> Christopher Smith had a pretty good game. He was only targeted once. He only gave up one reception for nine yards, no touchdowns. Okay. Outside of that, of people who traditionally cover, who traditionally cover wide receivers, who are what we would think of as defensive backs, there was not a whole lot of good to see. Uh, for instance, so if I just read down the PFF pass coverage games, uh, David uh, Daniel was number one, but he only had six pass coverage snaps, zero targets, zero receptions. Cool. Christopher Smith is number two. Then the next four or five guys are not defensive backs. Tresman Marshall, Ryan Davis. Robert Beal, Chaz Chambliss are all uh, are all uh, linebackers. Tramel Walthire, Tramel Walthire is a defensive end and a big guy. And then Marvin Jones Jr., Jalen Walker to get to the actual defensive backs. Of our traditional defensive backs, Keely Ringo had the best day. He had a 59.8 passing uh, coverage grade. 
He had, let's see, 13 targets. He gave up six receptions uh, for 69 yards. That's 11.5 yards per reception given up. He gave up 15, uh, 15 yards after the cat uh, after the catch, and his average depth of target was 10 yards down the field. He only gave up one touchdown, and he but he had two uh, stops, and he had a really good, a really big pass breakup on the last drive that that probably won the game. Then you have to go mm-hmm. four or five down from Keely Ringo, Michael Williams, Smile Jr., or Smile Mondin Jr., Jamon Dumas Johnson to get to the next defensive back. Right, Tyke Smith, 53.9 percent grave. Only targeted once, gave up one catch for 13 yards. Kamari Lasseter targeted five times, gave up five catches for 83 yards. Not a great day for Kamari. Javon Bullard, 41.4% uh, <laughs> for passing grade. Pretty rough. He gave up, uh, he had three targets, three receptions, 47 yards, and I believe he only had, he had one pass breakup, if I'm not mistaken. But really, the worst day by far was had by Malachi Starks. 39.7 PFF grade on the day. Three targets, three catches, 69 yards given up, 23 yards uh, per reception given up, nine yards after the catch given up. Average depth of target was 21.3 yards. He was They were targeting him down the field, and he gave up a big touchdown. Now, Malachi Starks is a freshman and a really good player. I'm not saying that he's going to get abused like he did uh, you know, going into the future. I don't think TCU has the depth of weapons, even if maybe they have the high watermark of weapon and, and they have one really good wide receiver, but I don't think they have five the way that Ohio state does, but I, you know, it'll, it, it bears watching. Can Malachi Starks, can Javal Bullard, can Kamari Lester pull themselves up? It's very obvious when Keely Ringo just gets beaten down the sideline because he is cover. He is corner one and he is often one-on-one with guys. And so I think that draws our eye to him. But of our traditional defensive backs, other than Chris Smith, he had the best day. And our, the people I really think we need to pull it up are the guys not named Keely Ringo. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I still think I'm not to tip my hand on my TCU prediction, but I think we're going to beat TCU. I, if I were, if I were betting, I, that's what I would bet to happen. And but if that's going to happen, I think we're going to need a better game from our defensive backfield in general. Yeah. But ultimately, it was the best. I, I was at the Rose Bowl and I was at this game. And I don't know which one is better, but it's really close. The Rose Bowl was special because it was so surprising and it was such a Cinderella run. But in terms of just quality of game, quality of opponent, man, Georgia probably played a better game in the Rose Bowl. And that's why I think the Rose Bowl was ultimately better. But in terms of drama and just the things that make college football great, this is one of the best games I've ever personally attended. Yeah. This whole season, you know, this is kind of where I'll, I'll bring us out to just other happenings around the league. This was an outstanding bowl and playoff season. I think it's by far the best playoff season I've ever actually experienced. And if not the best bowl season I've ever seen, pretty damn close. Like going back through the scores of games that I watched that I really, really enjoyed. There were so many close games, so many OTs, so many well-placed bids for teams playing against each other. It was just a fun bowl season. Like Oregon and UNC, that's kind of how um, one of the games that started it off, other than the the Florida and Oregon State game, which is not really a great game. But any game that uh, has Florida losing 30-3 to mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is a good game in my, in my book, yeah. you know? That's a good time. But mm-hmm. other teams and other games that I really enjoyed, Kansas versus Arkansas, great game. I loved watching Kansas this season. It's a shame that they're, you know, I, I think that their record does not indicate just how fun they were to watch this season. Uh, 
the TCU Michigan game was fantastic, of course. Uh, earlier this week, a Tulane and USC game, the Notre Dame and South Carolina game, like all these games were just fun to watch. And it could have been anybody's game either way. And so that, mm-hmm. that's all you really want from a bowl, a bowl season, I feel, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think by far the two most competitive semifinal matchups that we've ever had. I thought, you know, the mm-hmm. TCU Michigan game was just totally drunk for most of the time. So I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was really was impressed by I was really impressed by the matchups this year, and I think it's ironic that this yeah. is the year that we're going to a twelve uh, a twelve team playoff when like we just ripped up this format and then it and it produced something good. So it finally did good, but you know it finally did good. This, you know, like yeah, one out of how many? Yeah, it it Eight, it, it had a, it had a swan song, I suppose. So you want yeah. me to do the outro? Yeah, go for it. So this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you specifically get your podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chapel Bell Curve, each place. If you want to complain about us or yell at us or tweet at us, you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can also find us, by the way, on TikTok. And we actually have posted a couple mm. of TikToks, and I know Yara has plans for more. You can support the show in three ways. You can tell a friend about us, leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice, or financially through patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We get bonus behind-the-scenes content, access to our Discord, show notes, etc. You can catch me in L.A. this weekend and Justin, I assume, in the Classic City. And hopefully we will be uh, celebrating a win in a few days. Yeah, but that would be really exciting. It would be. And we will, we will catch you, I guess, before then on our preview podcast. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs.